You're listening to the Get Out and Drive podcast with John Custom Car Nerd Meyer and Jason Old Car Guy Car. We'll be bringing you gearheads everything you never wanted to know about cars and why they should be on the road and not in your garage. Are you ready to get out and drive? Get those cars on the road October 2nd, 2022 to celebrate National Get Out and Drive Day. Visit nationalgetoutanddriveday.com for more info. Now, if you guys are hanging out on the TikToks, you can certainly go over and check out our newest National Get Out and Drive Day ambassador. John, did you really just say the TikToks? I, I did say the TikToks. You gotta be a little hipper than that. It's TikTok. It's not, it is not TikTok. TikTok. Uh, well, it's the TikToks. It doesn't matter. It's like the Walmart and the Twitters. For some National Get Out and Drive Day 2022 coverage, you can head over to the TikToks. And while you're over on TikTok, make sure you tell Jeffrey that the guys over at Get Out and Drive podcast sent you. The Get Out and Drive podcast is now on Wingding TV. That means you can check out the Get Out and Drive podcast and our exclusive video content on Roku, Apple TV, Fire TV, and more. Just download the Wingding app and start watching and listening today. Okay, welcome back to another great episode of the Get Out and Drive podcast. My name is Jason, old car guy, car. And I am John, custom car nerd, Meyer. John, do you ever think at any point in your life uh, you could do any one thing, just change your entire career and pick up and go? Now, now why would I not want to be a mechanic and a body man? That seems weird, but I, I guess. But don't when, you ever have aspirations to want to do something different? I do. I've always wanted to work for like, be like a Disney Imagineer, guy building all sorts of crazy animatronic stuff for, for, uh, for Disney. I think that's crazy or be a, or be a Pixar artist. Well, I've always wanted to do something just totally strange and out of the ordinary. Uh, you all know I'm a car salesman by day and by night. I've always wanted to be a comedic actor. I, I think of myself as funny, but I would never have the nerve to get up and go out and just do something, career change, quit my job, anything like that. I say that because I'm excited about our next guest here on the podcast, uh, Amy Lerner. And Amy has uh, quite a story that associates with basically just one day thinking, I can do that. Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So I tell that I tell that story simply because I watched an old interview from back maybe in 2012, uh, where you talked a little bit about uh, seeing something, uh, a race that you thought you could do that. You just wanted to be able to do something different. You, you spoke with your husband. Can you tell me that story? Sure. It was actually, uh, I read a newspaper article about this event that had been happening for probably, I think, 20 years at the time in Morocco called the Rally Aisha Day Gazelles or the Gazelle Rally. And it was a nine-day orienteering rally for women across southern Morocco with uh, old school navigation. So zero electronics. You turned in your phones, you turned in your GPS and you use maps and compasses and you had to get from point A to point B 
every day for nine days in the shortest distance possible. And I had never done anything like that. I as I was uh, grew up around cars and antique cars and, you know, loved the idea of racing, had had gone to racing school before I had my kids. And it just it just was a moment that hit me. And I thought, wow, you know, that's a really cool place to visit. The photos look amazing. I've never driven off road. And why not? So I, uh, you know, took my Kindle and I put it in front of my husband and I said, hey, honey, uh, I think I found my midlife crisis. And he read the article and was like, well, uh, okay, if you want to do that, sure. And I, you know, did some research and had to find a navigator to go with me, invited my sister to go along. We went to training, uh, you know, learned what I thought was enough. Turned out not enough. I had a lot more to learn. Went to Morocco, had an incredible time and just kind of got hooked on the whole off-road driving, off-road rally, off-road racing. And then it just grew and I just, you know, started doing other events. What were you doing as for a career when you had this aha moment of, I want to blast across the desert in, in a lifted Porsche? So at the, at that moment, I was primarily a stay-at-home mom. Um, my early career career was working on Wall Street and trading desks. So I was still sort of involved, you know, trading on my own a little bit when I had time with the kids. My kids are still small. So one of the things that we, that I like to always know is a little bit about the background of the person that you say you used to be, uh, you know, doing some trading on Wall Street and, and whatnot. Uh, before you saw that article, that newspaper article and said that, you know, you wanted to go to uh, Morocco, uh, what was your hobby? What did you do to kind of stress release uh, before you decided to go ahead and, and do something like this? Now, this will sound, you know, diametrically opposed to off-road racing, but I actually read a lot of books and I did a lot of cooking. <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that because anybody can use some good home cooking. We always love to hear all sorts of crazy stories about racing. Um, I know you said you drove you drove uh, in Morocco and you've driven across a bunch of different countries. What have you done that's that's crazy to get the car put back together? Have you has it has it crashed or broken or lost parts and things like that? And and you 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 strung it together with uh, some bailing wire and chewing gum on the side of the road. I actually feel very uh, lucky in one way and very well prepared in another way to say that I don't really have any of those stories. Wow. Um, I have not ever really had a wreck. Uh, I've, you know, rolled a couple tires off the rims, had a couple of busted shock mounts, but really, you know, if I could throw some salt over my shoulder, knock on wood, whatever else you want to do, <laughs> you know, that's that's how I've been so far. And And part of that is attributed to the guy who gave me my first off-road racing lesson, Rod Hall, who is a you know legend in the industry. And, and sure. his, his go-to is always to finish first, you must first finish, which wow. is really just, you can't win the race unless you get your car to the finish line. And you have to really learn how to get that car to do just as much as it can. And maybe, you know, a half a mile an hour faster than you think it can go. But you really don't want to push too much because out in the dirt, things can happen that you don't expect and you don't see. You know, you're not just going in a circle turning left. There's bumps and, you know, all. I mean, there's all kinds of things. There's animals um, and you've got to be ready for them. And if you're pushing your car past what it can take on a regular basis and you hit one of those things, you're going to break, you're going to crash and your race is over and you're not going to win. How did how did you start 
getting into the racing circles of the people that you're with now. I mean, I in, in my wee little brain, I, I see you saying, I'm a stay-at-home mom, and you just said, I'm a racer now, and you started hanging out with those people, or how did you, what was your transition? Uh, just show, you show up and you do it, and okay. you, you know. It's that I, simple. I, it's, it, it, I mean, there's a lot more to it than that, but Basically. it is a, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really welcoming community, the off-road community. Uh, there's a lot of families that go. There's a lot of people that uh, it's one of the few, I realized this recently, one of the interesting things about it is one of the few motorsports where the top drivers in that particular type of motorsport are racing the exact same course as someone like me or someone who just got a bunch of buddies and, you know, slapped a roll cage on their wife's car and, you know, put an extra gas tank in it. And they're going to go try to race the Baja 1000. They are racing the exact same course. They're parking next to these guys at tech and contingency. So it's a very welcoming community and everybody's approachable. So if you go and you're interested and you try and you're serious and you ask questions, people are going to help you and they're going to help you with what they've learned. And you still have to do it yourself to really understand what it is about. But it's a it's a it's a great, you know, environment to be in as a beginner. So, Amy, a a few minutes ago, you were talking about, you know, learning, uh, you know, patience and, uh, you know, to finish a race uh, first, you must finish inspirational things like that. Like, tell me, where does the term lead foot come from then? Yeah. So yeah, Leadfoot was the was the nickname that Rod gave me after that first training session. I was apparently a little enthusiastic on the throttle, <laughs> and throttle control is important in any kind of racing, and particularly when you're bouncing around, you have to you have to know the right speed to get you up and down things. Um, yeah, so he 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 that was kind of a gauntlet that he threw down, and I was like, okay, I know what he's saying when he calls me that. It's not really a flattering thing. <laughs> No, I should, if I want to be successful, this guy obviously knows what he's doing. I, uh, you know, I need to back it off a little and, and really, you know, pay more attention to the car and the terrain and the control rather than just stepping on the gas. Well, and, and people like him, you know, who has been around the block a time or two, uh, obviously learns these things. He's seen probably a lot of people come and go uh, to be able to sit down with someone of that caliber, like, were you nervous the first time you got behind the wheel to, to learn this or uh, were you just too excited to be nervous? Um, I was excited. I was nervous. I had no idea who was in the car behind me because I had no idea who Rod Hall was. And he was a very self-deprecating, humble guy. And he has kind of an aw shucks persona and wants to (laughs) chit chat with you. And I honestly, halfway through the training was like, does this guy, he just keeps asking me how I'm going to solve these problems and how I'm going to do these things. So is it, is that his training or does he just not really know what he's doing? (laughs) But I later learned, you know, exactly who he was and exactly what he knew and realized, you know, how fortunate I was that that was the guy who called me Leadfoot, that he knew what he was doing and I really should pay attention. Has there been anything that you have done? that just you spontaneously did it that surprised you that oh my god where did i learn that or how did i learn that kind of thing anything surprised you that 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 either your driving skill or something uh i mean there have been lots of moments where you particularly when you're in a speed race that 
you have to react to the terrain changes almost before you realize you're reacting to the terrain changes. So there have definitely been moments where I kind of went, whew, okay, I guess I know what I'm doing because we just made it through that. Wow. Yeah, that that seems like that is true because sometimes I watch these you know, races like what you were in and the uh, Dakar rally. And, and it's amazing sometimes the, 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 the skill of the drivers to just navigate the train. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Cause like you said, you have no idea what's ahead, but still yeah. you have to blast through it and you're racing the clock. Yeah. yeah. That's where the person in the right seat honestly comes into play quite a bit because they've got race notes um, with tulips and instructions to tell you what's sort of happening next. They'll tell you, you know, there's dangers coming up. You've got to turn. So if you've got great communication, you'll take the information and translate it with what you're seeing and be able to anticipate to a degree. But everything's not in those notes. And, you know, the notes may have been made three weeks ago and there was a big storm. And now there's a huge washout. And you don't know what's coming because the notes aren't weren't made the day before or after the rain. So you've got to be able to react to it. And that's where the training and knowing your vehicle and getting a lot of seat time really comes into play. Wow. So speaking of terrain, we, we know that you've raced in Morocco. Um, yeah. I, I've seen some interviews. And I've seen some of your racing where you've raced in Australia. Yep. Um, what, what are some of the other events that you've raced in the past that's taken you over some of this uh, this beautiful wilderness that that's, you know, it's, it's here. Anybody can go see it, uh, but you've, you've raced across it. You've been there. Um, do you actually get to take in any of that scenery? You get to take in a good bit of it, but not there. Are, there are places I'll tell you, uh, Saudi Arabia was one great example of that because that's a place where we went. And I would say that I felt like we landed on a different planet every day because the terrain was just that varied and it's, it's not a place that is, has a big off-road culture yet. It's not a place a lot of tourists go to. So you really felt like you were dropped in a place that people hadn't been before. And I've been through Saudi Arabia twice now, and I had an opportunity to go back a few months ago as part of a media team to uh, another rally going on. It was called the Jamil rally, which was the first all women's off-road event in Saudi Arabia. And it was incredible to go and drive along the course while not competing and actually have a chance to look and enjoy what you're seeing. Nice. Do they set the courses up to be challenging or do they set them up for scenery or both? Or how is a course set up and do they change? Yeah, it depends. It depends on the event and every event they try to run it through a different area. Even if it's something like the mid 400, which takes place in a, relatively small area outside of Las Vegas. Uh, the course itself is similar every year, but it's always a bit different to make it interesting because even if you have uh, in that race, you'll have a GPS in the car and a track that you're following. So even if you're following the track, it's going to look different every year. The first thing that comes to mind when I think of somebody who's racing in a, uh, in, in a caliber of race that you're doing you're in Morocco, you're in Saudi Arabia, Australia, you know, wherever these races take you, it's got to be expensive. Uh, so there's, there's got to be some form of support there to help you get going. Um, is there sponsorship involved? Are there people who are helping you fund uh, your racing to keep you going? Yeah, it's definitely an opportunity for sponsorship because the events tend to get uh, some good media coverage. 
whether it's, um, you know, something that's more local or like the Dakar rally, which is global and, and, you know, millions and millions of people follow it around the world. So it's a definitely opportunities for sponsorship. Kind of tell us and our listeners, tell us about that car that, that you've been racing for quite some time, the Porsche. That thing looks rough, rugged and ready. Yeah, that is a, uh, it's a 1982 911 SC, which was built uh, for rally before I purchased it. And prior to, at the end of 2020, I had what I like to call a moment of pandemic induced madness. And two weeks before the registration for the Dakar rally closed, I thought, well, geez, it would be kind of fun to try to go and see if I could compete in this new thing called the Dakar Classic that they were doing because I love old cars, love rally. It was a kinder, gentler way to experience a car, which I had never been to before. Um, and the Porsche turned out to be available for sale, was well-built, well-prepped. And I thought, okay, sports car in the desert? Sure, why not? Two-wheel <laughs> drive? Never done that before, but hey, let's give it a go. So that was how I ended up getting my hands on it. And um, the learning curve was steep for the driving. I've always driven four-by-fours. So two-wheel drive, rear engine, uh, definitely a different experience. So my driving, you know, wasn't what I would have wanted it to be that first year because mm-hmm. I showed up because of COVID in Jeddah in Saudi Arabia, got in the car, drove across the parking lot. Next day was the prologue and off we went. So I really hadn't had any wow. any chance to drive the car ahead of time, which is why. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, which is which really was what pushed me to come back with that same vehicle just this past year, because I knew I had more in me and I knew that the car was more capable than I drove it. Wow. I know you said Dakar Classic. Explain to us uh, the parameters and the and the uh, year breaks of vehicles that are allowed to compete. So that is a new kind of rally next to the rally uh, that started in 2021. And it is open to pre-2000 rally vehicles. They don't necessarily have to have been rallied themselves, or it could be like my car that was built as a tribute to a specific vehicle of a specific era. And it is a regularity rally, not a speed rally, which means you need to get from the beginning of the rally to the end of the rally in a set amount of time, which in turn means that there's different average speeds that you have to reach that can change, you know, over a 30 kilometer section, you can change your average speed 20 times um, based on the terrain or based on, you know, whatever, however they felt like making it. So it's, it's really precision as opposed to just straight out speed. I know your car, you said your car was a tribute car or built to be like another car. Does your car have history itself or was it built purpose built to be a clone or homage to another vehicle? And what was that vehicle? So it was built as a tribute to the Porsches that were raced by the Porsche factory team and Jackie X in uh, the mid eighties. And Jackie actually managed to win the Dakar rally overall, which means the best of every vehicle that entered that year in a Porsche, which was incredible. So my car was built as a tribute to that by a different rally team. And it had been raced a few times before I bought it and on the podium in a couple of different rallies in Morocco and in Belgium. So it came with its own history as a tribute to an epic era of, you know, Porsche history. And I I know changing from a four-wheel drive vehicle that turns how did how was that adapting to a vehicle that would push and was rear heavy? 
it was, it was, you know, four wheel drive vehicle. And I'm used to a lot of my, a lot of my rallying was in a Jeep, which is a mountain goat. So you just slow, steady throttle and you'll just, whatever you're doing, you just kind of crawl up it. Mm-hmm. And this was just all about momentum, you know, with a two wheel drive vehicle in loose terrain, sand, you've got to just keep going. Wow. So that was a big, that was a big thing to learn. I retrain my muscle memory. <laughs> I'm excited to announce that the Get Out and Drive podcast is now on Wingding TV. This means you can check out the Get Out and Drive podcast and our exclusive video content on Roku, Apple TV, Fire TV, and more. Just download the Wingding app and start watching and listening today. You know, Jason, we sure get to talk a lot. Yes, and some of us more than others. Who, me? I'm not pointing any fingers. Yes, you are. But we want to hear from our listeners. Just go to our website getoutanddrive.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click the listener hotline button. We want to hear from you. Cool stories, breakdown stories, questions, comments, hate mail, even hate mail, even hate mail. You got a car show in your area? Let us know. Tell us an interesting story. Let us know what you like to get out and drive. So, Amy, tell us a little bit about the different classes of races that you run. I know there's some that are timed. There's some that you just got to do a certain distance. Uh, so maybe it's, this is a two-part, I guess. Maybe you can tell us about the different classes that you've raced and then follow that up with which do you prefer? So I've, I've done, I guess you could say maybe three different category of rally. One would be like the Gazelle Rally, which is the navigational rally, where speed is not a component um, your time is not a component. It is really how you get yourself from one point to another and usually in the shortest distance, but there's different events that have different types of scoring. And then, uh, there is a, just a basic speed rally, which is a race. And I like the cross country rally version, which is usually a multiple day event. They tend to go from three to, you know, eight, nine, 10, or like Dakar, 12, 14 days, And each day is a couple of stages and you go as fast as you can from the start to the finish of those stages. And your scores and your times are all cumulative over the course of the whole event. And then this Dakar Classic was a new format for me, which is the regularity format, where you are driving an average speed over a certain distance and trying to get from the start to the finish in a certain amount of time. And of those, you prefer which one? Oh, I like to go fast. You like to go fast. <laughs> I do like to go fast. But I will say I was I was quite surprised by the challenge of regularity because it sounds, oh, you know, get on the road and go 30. And wow, that's not very exciting. But the way the Dakar Classic was structured, the speeds tend to match the terrain quite nicely. So the speeds are actually a challenge for what the given terrain is. And it also was set up in a way that if your average speed is 60 kilometers, you can't just set the car to 60 and, you know, take a nap or look at the scenery because the terrain is constantly changing in front of you. So your 60 is going to have to go to 30 at some point because there's a big dip in the road or, you know, speed up to catch up to get yourself back on the time. So it really was really challenging and fun. (laughs) Are there any classes uh, or different types of cars that you aspire to to get into or racing? I um, have had the opportunity to drive a lot of stuff. Um, 
I kind of would love to pull one of the early trophy trucks and take it to the Dakar Classic. If I had an opportunity one day, that would be kind of a super fun combination um, and maybe get back, you know, the last couple of things that I have been doing have been in regularity, get back to the more of the racing side of it, either in, you know, a side-by-side, which is easy, you know, less, more budget-friendly, I guess, way to race or some other, you know, maybe a car. What is the oldest car that you've seen or that has run uh, in, in, in recent history? What is the oldest car that has run in the, uh, in that, the Dakar Classic? Ooh, I don't know what the oldest vehicle was exactly. My Porsche, which was an 82, was one of the oldest. I think there okay. might have been a 79-something. But they really are trying to keep it to the same era as the Dakar has existed, which would right. would have started in, I think, 78. So okay, there might have been a couple of older, but... Sure. So I, I guess one of the things that, uh, you know, we, we listen to all the stories from, from different racers, uh, the stories that you've told us here tonight. And one of the things that I like to know from, from people who have done this and you've been, sounds like you've been everywhere uh, when it comes to racing is what, what's the biggest takeaway uh, in, in the last decade of, of racing that you, you can, you can take home to say, okay, this is the biggest thing I've learned, or this is the biggest thing I'm taking away from doing what I do and, and why I do it. Ooh, on a racing level or on a human level? Well, <laughs> I, think you, I, I think with what you're doing, I think you can kind of combine them both, but I guess yeah. we're kind of looking at the racing level. So, uh, you yeah. know, something you can take away from your racing experience. Um, on the racing level, I would have to say from my own perspective as a woman, which is a question that I often get, and I would will happily say that there are way more women that I run into in the racing world and just motorsports in general than there were when I started, um, that there's no reason there shouldn't be just as many women as there are men. I haven't physically encountered anything that I can't do, and I'm not super fit, <laughs> you know. I mean, you do need to be you do need to be in pretty good shape, because, particularly in off road, because you get banged around. But um, you know, from that perspective, I would say that there are no barriers to entry that I have found. And I think also, in general, that if you want to race, there is a form of racing that you can access. You know, I I I tend to because it's not a career for me. So I don't have, you know, a fully sponsored team and I'm doing a full series of races. When I tend to choose an event to go do, I go for the big ones, but there's a lot of small races and there's a lot of small off-road communities that if you want to start, you know, there's places you can start. You don't have to look at the Dakar rally and say, oh my God, 12 days, big budget. I got to be out of, out of the country for three weeks and I can't do it. You know, there, there are opportunities and there are people there who will welcome you. So go do it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the strangest thing I'm thinking about, right? Has racing given you any additional abilities in normal traffic driving that you never yeah. thought you'd have? <laughs> like, like I know I can do this because I did this, uh, you know, when I was when I was racing in this country, you know, and, and, and you see yourself doing that or get the muscle memory when you're driving in local traffic. Well, my local traffic is New Jersey, so... Uh, it's a little aggressive. See, there's the exact thing I'm talking about. You need that. It's a little aggressive. So sometimes somebody will try to like pull a move and I just go, yeah, really? Mm -hmm. And I just, you know, zip around. But, but honestly, it's actually made me more patient 
because you know, I, I understand a little better what can happen if you do things that are risky or aggressive. And I also know, you know, I've gone way faster than whatever we're doing on the highway. So I don't need to. Yeah, we, we see that a lot. And I know Jason and I have talked quite a lot that, you know, the, uh, the, the newer cars are making drivers feel more aggressive and safe being more aggressive. Yeah. And, and I see that and safety features are, are starting to make poor drivers stay alive. Um, and, and you obviously see that in traffic and things as, as well. Um, so uh, it's just interesting to have the racing mindset and you're driving in everyday traffic in what you would think is a crawl. <laughs> you could just get out and walk, you know, and, and, and having that ability and that uh, uh, the sense of, of what you've done in racing and applying that to local traffic. So that's that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. You, you, you brought back a memory of uh, waiting to pick my kids up at the elementary school and the women trying to cut in front of me in the car line. <laughs> so you, you mentioned before uh, about, uh, you know, being a being a woman, being a female in racing. Uh, was there any one particular woman that inspired you to do what you did? Or was it something you just grew upon yourself to say, I can do that. I want to do that. I'm going to do that. Actually, there was. And she's now a really good friend of mine. Uh, there's a woman named Sue Mead, who is a uh, an automotive journalist. I don't know if you guys have come across Sue anywhere in your out and abouts. But um, when I was looking to go to Morocco, I was, you know, Googling and trying to research whatever I could about what it what it meant and what it would take and found an article that she had decided for her 60th birthday that she wanted to race the Dakar rally as the driver of record. And she did it and won her class. And I just thought, you know what? That's the coolest thing ever. And two years later, I met her in Morocco at the Gazelle Rally. She had been brought in by Mercedes to drive one of their sprinter vans. And she and I, you know, we're now really good friends. I talked to her every couple of days and we've done a lot of stuff together. She was with me in Saudi Arabia as my media manager. Um, But yeah, no, just reading about her story really said, okay. She can do that. This that was great. That sounds like the people to hang out with. I mean, yeah, Yeah, she's done some things. I have to tell. (laughs) Yeah, I I see. And as as a mentor, has she has she taught you uh, uh, things to do or guide? Was able to guide you in a way? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because not only did she had she raced a car, you know, she'd been there as a. As a journalist, she had um, been in the Baja 1000 as a co-driver and uh, done the Camel Trophy and just so many adventures and expeditions. And she just got this great, you know, just do it spirit, which was really cool to, you know, get the encouragement and the words of wisdom. So what's next for Amy Lerner? What's the next big race? What's the next big thing? I actually don't officially have anything on my schedule yet. (laughs) Really? I, think I think I'm taking a break from the car classic this year, but I am um, considering the uh, Morocco rally in uh, October, which is runs this year, I think, along the coast, Atlantic coast of Morocco for about eight days. And that'll be a race rather than a regularity. Is there anything outside of what you've done already in your racing career that you aspire to do? Is there, is there a different class of racing, a different type of racing? The one thing that I have not done yet is raced in Baja. 
I have been down there and chasing races several times for my documentary film, um, but I have never actually raced that terrain. So that one's probably if I had a, you know, have a racing bucket list, that's probably that's probably the top of it. Do you want to talk a little bit about your uh, your filmmaking career and your uh, your abilities as a director? Sure. Um, So I produced and co-directed a film called One More Win, which is about the aforementioned, my mentor and friend, Rod Hall, and his uh, couple of years leading up to his record-setting 50th consecutive Baja 1000. So he was the only person to be at that very first Baja 1000 that left out of Tijuana in the bull ring in 1967 <laughs> and race it every single year that it occurred until the 50th race in 2017. Wow. That is, that's a lot of driving. That's a, yeah. He, he used to joke uh, <laughs> that he was, he, uh, you know, there were some people that maybe did a lot of Baja 1000s, but he was the only one that hadn't graduated yet. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that yeah. is incredible. Or what? What type of what type of projects are you working on currently? If you can say, so I'm actually working on uh, something that is outside of the automotive world, and I. But in racing and rally, I have been talking to some people who are developing a project involving uh, women in rally. So we'll see where that one ends up. But that one will be fun nice. to work on. Nice, nice. So, Amy, if somebody wanted to watch uh, that documentary or that that film, One More Win, where could they go to watch that today? So it is on a whole bunch of streaming platforms, uh, Amazon, iTunes, uh, Google Play, I think YouTube and Vimeo, as well as maybe a couple of others, you know, pretty much any place you can stream. So I, I asked that for my own uh, reference, as well as those who may be listening to us here today, uh, because I think sometimes... <laughs> You know, we get to interview a lot of people uh, in in what we're doing, and sometimes we've got to go do our own research to find a little bit more information about these folks. Um, You know, so when we're going through, sometimes it's good to see some of these big uh, productions that somebody has taken the time and the effort and the energy and the money to go put this together uh, for everybody else's entertainment. So uh, I'm going to be sure to head out and and catch that uh, that uh, documentary one more time. Definitely. Somebody told me you were on Jay Leno's garage on first season with your Jeep. I, I was. It wasn't my Jeep. It was a bunch of the Jeeps that had been built for Easter okay. Jeep Safari that year. Wow. Yeah. Fun experience. Interesting. Weird. Fun. Yeah, it was um, <laughs> It was really fun. Jay Leno is a super nice guy. Yeah. Um, I had the uh, dubious distinction, as I may have mentioned, of uh, elbowing him out of the way to save a car that was rolling down the hill because I had (laughs) engaged the parking brake and left it in neutral rather than putting it in gear. And the parking brake apparently had been given a little too much love and wasn't quite doing what it was supposed to do, but uh, didn't didn't injure Jay and save the car. (laughs) Save Jay from a runaway car. Yes. I'll make that plaque and I'll send it to you. Yeah, great. Thank you. <laughs> I saved Jay Leno. The Jeep loaned you did not roll off the hill. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, that sounds pretty cool. It sounds like you've done a lot of things and aspire to do even more. And uh, we wish you a bunch of luck with uh, the next step in your racing career. Thank you so much. It's been great chatting with you guys. 
Cool. If you guys want to find your very own off-road vehicle, your race car, whatever it happens to be, make sure you head over to racingjunk.com. You just might find exactly what you're looking for. Oh, John, that was a real exciting interview. I, I really like talking about uh, people who just spontaneously decide it's time to, to do something different. Yeah, I can't believe how it is, how it would even feel to completely stop what you're doing and make a left turn, go to a totally different career. Especially when you're doing something as prestigious as what Amy Lerner was doing. Like, uh, you know, I can't imagine being that successful and then just kind of almost answering an ad in a newspaper. Yeah, just kind of show up and say, here I am. This is what I want to do. Yeah. But it's also great that she had the family support uh, and friends that were willing to uh, help her get to where she wanted to go, because I'm not sure I would have that to do something if I decided it wasn't, uh, you know, selling cars was no longer feasible. I think I would have to, right. uh, you know, have a bankroll, um, you know, and be able to uh, come and go freely. I just don't think I have that in me to do it. Uh, so congratulations on her for just, you know, stepping outside the box and, and doing what she felt she was called to do. Mm -hmm. What a wonderful, wonderful person. Jason, you like cruising around the internet, just uh, searching for projects that you don't need. You do that? I do. It's probably my second job. It is your second job. I know I get smacked all the time because I've got plenty of projects and, uh, I, I, I secretly still look for things other than the things that are in my driveway. What's wrong with us? I don't know. It's definitely a sickness, but, uh, you know, one of my favorite places to visit is racingjunk.com. I go there a lot. I probably shouldn't, but I go there a lot. It's it's like uh, a little, little secret hideout. I get really good deals there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry I'm saying this on the podcast. I'm going to let out the secret, but... I'm, I'm getting much better deals there than I am on uh, a lot of other websites. Yeah, and not only can you buy and get good deals, but you can also sell your own junk and put money right in your pocket. Yeah, that's right. They don't charge any transaction fees. Just 100% of what I make through my ad, I keep. Absolutely, so if your wife is at you to clean out your garage for spring, you can post all your junk on racingjunk.com. Wow. Well, I'm going to uh, I'm gonna stop talking now. I'm going to head out to the garage, and uh, I'll, I'll probably be back in a little bit, but I'm going to head out and clean up some stuff. I know I've got a ton of stuff to sell. Start making money today. Get out in racingjunk.com. Sell your stuff. Get money. Stick it in your pocket. Speed over to our friends at RacingJunk.com and sign up for a Pro Club membership. Use the code GETOUT to receive a discount when you sign up for a Pro Club membership. Cruise on over to our website, GetOutAndDrive.com, for all the info you never wanted to know about our podcast. Hit us up on our listener hotline, be the first to know what's happening, get industry news, and grab your Get Out and Drive merch. Connect with us on social media. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Follow us on Twitter at Get Out and Drive Pod.
What drives you? 